0: Welcome to Menopause Uprising, the Wellness Warrior podcast with me, Catherine O'Keefe. On today's episode, I'm chatting to Jill Brennan, who is the CEO of the Celiac Society in Ireland since 2018. We're talking very much about the prevalence of celiac in Ireland and also how it can look very similar to menopause in many of the symptoms that are part of the celiac disease. We will be sharing resources in the show notes, which um, will direct you to some invaluable places that you can get very good information in relation to supporting yourself through a diagnosis of celiac. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone, and hi, Jill. Thanks for joining me today. I was really excited about today's chat because Celiac disease comes up a lot in relation to conversations that I have um, with women in menopause. So I really wanted to delve into it a little bit further. Um, And Jill, as I mentioned to you earlier, your name came highly recommended as, (laughs) as a great source in this area. So I guess just to start
1: Jill, just tell us, you know, what is celiac disease? Well, celiac disease, Catherine, is an autoimmune condition which can appear in um, which, which can appear at any stage of life. So it can appear in a child as young as a year. It can appear in somebody as old in their 90s. So it's um, it's a, a It's basically it's a genetic uh, disease, because if you have somebody in your family who has celiac disease, there's a one in 10 chance that you, too, will have celiac disease. It's estimated that about one percent of the population in northern Europe um, have celiac disease. But there are also estimates that say it's between one and two percent of the population of northern Europe. For in Finland, for example, they actually have a celiac register where it's shown that it's between two and 2.75 percent of their population actually have celiac disease. So it's not known what causes it. It's not known why it's triggered at any stage in life. And what it is, is that if somebody eats gluten, what it does is it, it attacks the lining of your small intestine. And what that means then is you have these little things called villi. If you imagine them like blades of grass on a lawn. Okay, when the blades of grass are up on a lawn, they're actually able to capture all the sunlight, all the nutrients that are in the air and actually helps the grass to grow. Okay, so if you imagine the lining of your intestine like that, that's what happens when when you eat something. It actually goes through your intestine and those villi actually capture all the nutrients and minerals that you need to maintain a healthy body somebody with celiac disease, what happens is when you eat gluten, the gluten attacks the villi in your gut. And what it does is it kills them. Okay. It atrophies them, which means that you go from having blades of grass standing up to having blades of grass lying down or gone completely. So this means that you can't actually absorb nutrients and minerals from your diet then. So what that can do then, it leads to a, a plethora, a plethora of symptoms. And what is con- what, what, what is, I suppose, confusing about celiac disease is that it, it, it can be masked by other diagnosis. Some people think mm-hmm. they've IBS. Well, have you mm-hmm. had a blood test and have you had a biopsy to confirm it's not celiac disease? Some people think that, oh, I eat that and I don't feel great afterwards. So I just don't eat that. And it could be bread. And therefore, ergo, you may have celiac disease. So the symptoms could be anything from increased fatulence and wind, um, diarrhea, constipation, fatigue fatigue is a big one and uh, and that's something that comes with menopause as well so you mm-hmm. kind of think well I'm, I'm I'm menopausal so of course I'm tired but you know what maybe you're tired because you're also menopausal and celiac Um, you maybe have a very you can't keep your iron levels high you find that you um, can't like me you can't remember the words for the next sentence you know that kind of thing <laughs> and in kids it's particularly like that in that they feel like the teacher might say they're not paying attention in school. They're finding that they're very fatigued in school or they come home and you find them sitting on the couch and not, I'm very lethargic. And sometimes it's masked by kids being just termed as fussy eaters. Sometimes your child is not a fussy eater. Your child is fussy because they're, they're what they're eating is is causing them pain. So um, I, like I said, it's, it can be a range of uh, symptoms with celiac disease that, can be taken as being something as you think, oh, it's just normal, I'm windy after I eat that, or that gives me terrible constipation, or I get terrible uh, uh, diarrhea with that. But if you're getting bloating, pain, diarrhea, constipation, fatigue, um, and you find that, God, I have all of those things, well, basically ask your GP for a blood test, because that's the first step. And it's not something that's done automatically when you go to get your bloods done. Um, it's something that has to be asked for. Um, and then what happens is the bloods will uh, indicate if you have what are called high transglutaminase antibodies in your blood. And if you have it above a certain level, these TTG's anti- TTG antibodies, um, your GP should then be sending you for an endoscopy, which is a small um, scope, uh, which goes down and takes a small piece of the duodenum, which is the upper intestine. And if that um, comes back to show that the villi are damaged, well, then you have celiac disease. So what we encourage people to do is if they have any of the symptoms um, that I have just mentioned is Mm -hmm. go for a blood test. Because what we're saying is we're not wanting we're not wanting you to have celiac disease. We want you to rule it out. But Mm. if you do have celiac disease, that's where we can come in and help people on their journey at any stage of life, at any stage of the journey. Okay, that's
0: yeah. I I mean, um, my God, I love the analogy of the blades of grass and the lawn. That makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because. We hear so much about the issues with absorption of nutrients. So, um, yeah, that's that's fantastic. And as you say, there is that um, kind of symptom uh, overlap with yep. menopause. It's it's very your like particularly you mentioned yourself like the brain fog, that kind of the memory, the concentration. I mean, that's a huge one. Um, in menopause, w- would you say, Jill, have we more of an occurrence in Ireland of celiac would be would we be one of the higher
1: countries or
0: how do we fare?
1: You see, this is not known either, Catherine, because there are there is no celiac register. And okay. to try and get a celiac register is something that the Celiac Society is, is currently trying to do. Um, and we're going to base it off um, the Spanish um, have actually put in place a, a register in Spain and that has worked very successfully for them. So we figure, look, let's try and follow that model and that framework and see if we can get it to work here in Ireland. So that's one mm. of the projects we're actually working on over the course of the next couple of years. But it's not simple. And mm. the reason for that being that GP systems where they record you know, the, the data on the patients that come in are not linked to a central repository for data. And they're also not linked on one system. There's several different types of systems that are used in each GP practice across GP practices. So actually getting that register together is not as simple as having like one data reservoir that we can actually access. Like the way the the blood transfusion board might have Mm. a a central repository for data. So we have to look and see, first of all, let's get the framework for that together using the Spanish model and then see what we have to do in order to get data into that model, be it from a regulatory perspective or from a legal perspective. Mm. Anecdotally, it has been said that we have a higher incidence in Ireland and a higher incidence in the west of Ireland than in the east of Ireland. And the reasoning behind that is because it is felt that the population population true Irish population is not as diluted in the West as it has been in the East. And that's pretty much just from a demographic perspective. If you think about it, the eastern half of the country is far more populated than the western half of the country. And that's simply just because of the way geographically it's laid out. Um, but we are currently running a demographic study here in the Celiac Society, um, where we are looking to see if that holds true, if that if that anecdotal evidence actually holds holds true in from a theoretical Mm. perspective. So we're hoping to have the results of that survey and that study, the initial parts of that study um, available um, for uh, publication next year. Great. And we will, of course, let our members and the general public know about that. But we're also hoping to see if we can do a longer study. And that is something that we're looking to see if we can get funding um, for over the course of the coming years as well. So Mm. from an Irish perspective, anecdotally, people will tell you, There's loads more celiacs in the west of Ireland or in Cork or in Donegal than there is in the the other parts of the country. But we want to know is that the case? Right. Okay. Okay.
0: And what if, so what if I am um, sitting at home and I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, okay, I've got the tiredness. I've got the brain fog. I've got the bloating. I've got a bit of aches and pains. I have the constipation that's taken a lot of perimenopause symptoms, right? Um, yeah. Is there, is there a key differentiator that you would say to be aware of before you kind of go to your doctor and ask for the blood tests?
1: Well, how it would work is that uh, age is is, 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 when it comes to, you know, I suppose menopause and celiac disease, age is a denominator here because Mm -hmm. it has been said. And again, it has been shown through some studies, but not a lot of studies that women who are celiac actually start menopause earlier yeah okay yeah. Yeah. and that is um so basically if it's untreated it can cause early menopause um and we don't actually know why celiac disease has this effect um but really what is so key here is that proper nutrition as you well know is needed for a, a healthy menstrual mm-hmm. cycle and it's also needed to i suppose progress through your menopausal stages um positively and as stress free as, pro- as possible so you know, one thing I learned, and I mean, again, you can you uh, you you being the expert on this, is that you don't always show up perimenopausal in blood tests either.
0: Mm, yeah. So
1: that's a common misnomer that oh god, my hormone levels will be elevated or they'll be dl or, they'll be um, yeah. reduced, and that sure, that'll show up in the bloods. But I know myself, I'm perimenopausal, but it's not showing up in my bloods. So um, I also had all of the symptoms of celiac disease it came back that I was not celiac. So I am what what they call a non-celiac gluten sensitive, which means that I can't eat gluten, but I'm not doing the same amount of damage to my system as, as, as a celiac disease actually does. So it can be quite confusing. But what I would say that if you find that you are experiencing all of these symptoms and you're thinking, A, I might be perimenopausal. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe what you are is you're actually menopausal and you have celiac disease. And really, because it's just as simple as getting a blood test initially, why not just get it ruled in or ruled out?
0: Yeah, and I think I always say I really do advocate, kind of from the forties onwards, that at least on, on an annual basis you get a blood test done, not as you say to tell you that. Uh, you're in menopause because it's of no benefit particularly in the early perimenopause years but it's to rule out anything else so I always yeah. say you know look at the thyroid how's your iron how's your vitamin d level and I think now and add to that, it's possibly you know if you're experiencing some of the symptoms you might want to ask for the celiac test as well does oh, it cost absolutely. does it cost
1: more no no it's a standard okay no that that's what the irony of all of this is right, it doesn't indeed. cost you or the gp or the blood testers any okay. more to do it's just one more thing they have to check for because when i go to get my annual bloods done my gp is fantastic she'll check for all of my vitamin levels she'll check yes. for all of my iron levels she'll check for celiac disease because i have told her to check for these mm, things and mm. they come back and she'll tell me oh your vitamin k is low your vitamin d is low or or your your you know your your, your um your cholesterol is high that's usually a big <laughs> one for me. Uh, you know, and but that again goes hand in hand with menopausal women yeah. experience higher levels of cholesterol. What we mm. would be more concerned about, to be honest with you, um Catherine, is um women who have undiagnosed celiac disease and who have started menopause is the fact that the calcium levels in their bloods are so low and Mm. again this will show up on a blood test the calcium levels and for bone health osteoporosis menopause and celiac disease go hand in hand and the last thing you want is for you to experience early onset osteoporosis um, as a result of an undiagnosed celiac disease Mm. In menopause, because that just means that you are opening yourself up to a plethora of things you do not want. Mm. So why would you want to do that when all it's something, something as simple as getting a blood test? Now, don't get me wrong. If you're diagnosed as celiac, it is a strict gluten free diet for life. That is the only treatment. There is no pill. There is was no yeah. injection. There was yeah. nothing. You have to have a strict gluten-free diet for life. And that's where the Celiac Society comes in. Because what we're here to do is to support you. We're here to, in- to inspire you how to live a gluten-free life. We're here to empower you which is really important for women as well, to be feel mm. empowered in the day to day of what they can eat and what they can't eat and to ensure that what they're putting into their bodies is right for them nutritionally and healthily as well. Mm. And we're here to educate. So those four areas are what we are best doing. We are experts in supporting, inspiring, empowering and educating. And we will help you at every stage of your gluten free journey.
0: Brilliant. And I know from many people, I've heard you are utterly fantastic as a resource, you know, from when people are diagnosed. Um, just to go back, just a few things, um, where you mentioned what was really interesting about the early menopause. Because, you know, what's interesting there, and it's only when you say it, we, there's still ongoing research into what causes some of the forms of early menopause, premature ovarian insufficiency in particular. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely a genetic link, but there's also one of the areas that has been investigated and again, research is more research is needed, but is the autoimmune aspect and whether there has been an illness when a, a woman was younger. But it's interesting though, isn't it? Because that autoimmune thread is coming through also with C. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, and the know? fact now that we can do so much more with um with gene research and um uh, and medical research itself has taken such leaps and bounds in the last mm. 10 to 15 mm. years that we can now you know break down the sequence of genes and DNA to actually look into it some more. Um and really Early menopause and, and celiac disease go hand in hand, we feel. But also the other autoimmune conditions that go hand in hand with celiac disease are things like thyroid,
0: mm-hmm. diabetes,
1: mm-hmm. all of those things. So, again, if you have uh, your thyroid is up and down and you're at, in your 40s and you're experiencing some of the symptoms I outlined earlier, get a blood test, check yeah, for celiac yeah, disease. Yeah, yeah. Because not every GP thinks that way. So you yeah. have to ask.
0: Yeah, very good point. And just when we mentioned, just to go back to the calcium, because this is a big one, and I Mm. I did have a lot of um, questions kind of came through on this one. So I think the first thing is going back to your fantastic analogy of the lawn Mm. is, when you are celiac your body is not going to be absorbing any nutrients as you know compared to a non-celiac from the food that you're taking in so i think that's one of the reasons and because you're not absorbing those nutrients that's what puts you at a higher risk of osteopenia osteoporosis and so forth so when we um when we when you look at that what do you say to, you know, if someone who's newly diagnosed with celiac, what, what advice do you give in relation to protecting the bone health?
1: Well, what we would say is you have to increase your, ta- your calcium intake. And one of the most, it's one of the obvious, as you know, and as you're probably your listeners know, it's one of the most important nutrients for your bone health. Um, dairy products are the best source of calcium. Really, that's what our dietitians would say. So if you can eat dairy, this is, this is where you go. It's one pot of yogurt, 125 gram serving, a matchbox size portion of cheese or a glass of milk, around 200 mils of milk a day. And you should aim for three to four servings of calcium rich foods over the course of that day. So yogurt for breakfast, cheese for at your lunch, glass of milk with your dinner. Um, don't try and get all of your calcium requirements from green vegetables. We would say mm-hmm. that. Although mm-hmm. they are sources of calcium, you'd have to eat Barrowfuls of the stuff in order to get the <laughs> calcium requirements that you need. Yeah. I mean, I remember saying this to our dietician, sure, I eat a bag of spinach pretty much two or three times a week. She said, that's not enough. You'd need mm. to eat, a, 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 you'd literally need to eat a, a, a trailer load of cal- of bags of spinach in order yeah. every week in order to get your calcium. So yeah. it's the yogurt And and the other thing is live natural yogurt is really important for your gut health as well. So if you can eat live natural yogurt um, and not to plug anybody, but I do know that one of the Irish brands made down in the west of Cork in a lovely little place, beginning with C and ending with Y, that they make a fantastic big, huge pot of live natural yogurt that you can get in most of the supermarkets. And it's really, really good. And live natural yogurt stays in the fridge for ages because that's what it is. But it's so good for your gut health. And of course, Mm. a good bit of good Irish cheddar. All right, that's another big, big lump of that. And then your glass of milk, 200 mLs. So you're looking for three to four servings of calcium rich foods over the course of the day. And don't forget Mm. as well, you will get some calcium in fish as well. So, you know, Mm. if you're curious or you're interested, Give us a shout here in the Celiac Society, info at celiac.ie. We can get our nutrition team to send you out a list of some things if you're interested. Of course, we'd love you to join as members where we can actually give you far more information than just that. But for now, if you're just curious, drop us a line at info at celiac.ie and put in the subject Catherine's Menopause Podcast and we'll know exactly what you're talking about then. All right. Brilliant. And just with
0: the calcium, one of the things I was only doing um, a chat on this last night is uh, with the calcium, we've also got to make sure we have the vitamin D, the vitamin K yeah. and the magnesium as well. Yeah. So that we're targeting kind of the bone health on well, many Well,
1: I, I take vitamin D every day every day, regardless of whether it's summer or spring, autumn or winter, I take vitamin D every day. And that is based on the fact that we are a Northern European country that don't get the the levels of sunshine and natural vitamin D that we should. So again, it's really important to help with the absorption of calcium. Um, You can find it in oily fish, meat, eggs, and fortified breakfast cereals or fortified milk. However, you don't, you need to eat an awful lot of those. Again, we're back to barrel folds and trailer loads to get the, the vitamin D requirement for the day. So, um, what we have been telling people, and again, this comes from our dietetic and nutrition team, that people with celiac disease need a vitamin D supplement of 10 micrograms per day. And the Food Safety Authority of Ireland advises everyone in Ireland that any over 65, that they should have 15 micrograms of vitamin D per day. So, The best person to talk to in relation to the amount of vitamin D that you should be taking in your diet based on your age, based on your stage of life, be it with celiac disease or menopause, is your pharmacist. Believe it or not, your pharmacist knows so much more about what goes into medicines than than your yeah. gp does because if you ever go into a gp and they're about to prescribe something for you they all go for this thing called the mims di- directory, yeah and that and that's because they have to look up the but i can guarantee you a pharmacist knows off the top of their head what's in what and what reacts with what and what you need in relation to your vitamin levels and your vit and uh, your mineral levels
0: yeah and you know that's a really interesting point jill because i think pharmacists are un- underutilized oh absolutely. i think that it's, it's, a, it's a resource that really, um, we can all avail of more and it's yeah. even simple things look like I could go off in a whole other tangent, but it's even, you know, how do you put on a patch? How do you apply gel? You know, when you get yeah. into other, the HRT Avenue, but, but certainly I'm the same as you. I take an oral vitamin D spray every day. Um, but yeah now I would I'm not celiac but I would take that now from September through probably till March April and then you know I would run a lot I am out a lot so I I wouldn't for the summer months but but definitely we do know and I think a lot of uh, this is kind of can be one of the other issues is that a lot of uh, doctors aren't even routinely checking now for vitamin D because they're assuming that we're all deficient and it's
1: unfortunate yeah it's unfortunate as well Catherine because you know Look, our GPs do a huge amount of great service mm. for the community, and I mean they are to be, to, in my totally. in my mind, overworked and underpaid. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you have to remember that the person who knows the most about your body is you.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. and there's a reason why they say doctors practice. Okay, it's because doctors are learning constantly. It's the one profession in life where they are constantly learning. And yes, they are responsible to help you in your well-being and your health and your progression through life. But at the end of the day, you're the person who knows your body best. Mm -hmm. And if you feel you need something to help you perform your body to perform better your mind to perform better but well, then you need to take that to your doctor and have a discussion it's not about them knowing more than you it's about you knowing more about your body than they do I'm sorry they don't get to look inside my head they don't get to look inside my body I know what hurts I know what when, when I need to get something to to help boost my immune system or to boost my my well-being so while I'm not dismissive like I said, GPs do a phenomenal amount of work, and like I said, they are—it is a vocation. It is most definitely a vocation. But at the end of the day, we—the only person who knows your body as well as you—as as you—is you, is you. Yeah. and only yeah. you can articulate what's going on. And I think there has been, especially uh, in the older generations and the people in their in their in their sixties, seventies, eighties onwards, they tend to look at the at the doctor almost as you know. Nothing they say can be wrong. Everything is they say is right. But and at the same time, and they're afraid to say sometimes, oh, this hurts, that hurts. The other thing hurts. It's not that a doctor is going to pump you full of medicine. A doctor is going to tell you how to take care of yourself. They will then refer you on to somebody, say, for example, like who knows most about menopause, because they're not Their GP is that it's general mm. practice. It's mm. not specifics. Mm. Um, And it's the same with celiac disease. They don't know everything about celiac disease, but we do, which is why we are reaching out to the GPs in our community to say, look, somebody tests positive for celiac disease. Send them to us. Let us help you, Mm. you know. So if
0: if um, a blood test comes back and it does show celiac, does the job, does the doctor arrange for the next procedure? or yeah, is yeah, it, it ha- okay. Yeah,
1: and really, to be honest with you, the diagnosis comes from the gastroenterologist, the consultant gastroenterologist, okay? Okay. So yeah. once you get your endoscopy and the results come from the endos- from the gastroenterologist, they will be sent back to your GPS to note that you have celiac disease. But really what you should be doing then is you should be coming to us. Right, okay,
0: okay. Okay. And I think, I think that's one of, I think one of the biggest challenges I've seen close friends who've been diagnosed celiac kind of through the, the perimenopause years. And I think they've just kind of struggled until they found you, (laughs) you know, they've struggled to kind of find they're just, you're trying to piece it all together. And then if you go on to Dr. Google, oh mother of God, you know, the confusion, it just becomes too much, you know? Yeah. Um, We would
1: suggest don't, um, don't start this journey on your own.
0: Yeah, yeah. And well, you're not I'm alone. Famous.
1: And you're not mm. alone. Regardless mm. of what stage in life you are at, um, be it your child has been diagnosed or you've been diagnosed or your spouse, loved one, your mother, your father's been diagnosed. Don't go the journey alone. Um, mm. And yesterday, for example, we now have a pop-up shop and office uh, in Clendalkin in West Dublin. So we're actually public facing now, okay? Right. So people can actually okay. walk in to the office and talk and have a chat with us and yesterday a woman and her daughter came in and they were going we didn't know that and god you're here and we'll be back and it's great that you're here and you're a godsend. And, you know, that's what we're here to do. And that's what makes it worthwhile. That's what makes what we do worthwhile and why we Mm -hmm. have been around for the last 51 year, 52 years now at this stage. Um, And we're here to help. We're not here to hinder. We're not here to give uh, you um, a wrong steer. We have the experts in place to help people on their journey. And like Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not the expert. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm just the one steering the ship but I have the experts you can talk to.
0: You're the one with the passion. (laughs) And I think that, you know, that's fantastic, the walk-in clinic. And what I'll do is in the show notes, I'll share all of the resources so that people can contact you um, and so forth. And with, sorry, just one thing where you mentioned there, I mean, I I was nodding my head ferociously (laughs) when you're talking about, you know, the doctor and you're talking about, you know, the person who knows the most about your body is you. I mean, I say this the whole time, Jill, when it comes to menopause, because It's it's similar in terms of menopause. You can feel very lonely Um, and, you know, as you described. And I think it's really important to always go back to Nobody, nobody knows your your body better than you. And I 100 percent agree. We have this, um, I don't know, this kind of hang up or we have this thought that whatever is told us by someone in a white coat that that's given. But I think that's changing as a generation or certainly I'm certainly advocating to empower people to look, you know, obviously you're getting guidance, you're 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 getting trained professional information. But at the end of the day, it's your body. If you still don't feel right, you need to question. Exactly. You know, you need to continuously question until you're kind of happy that you're you've got the right answer. You know, you're in the right place. Um,
1: Absolutely. And that's that's where we we would constantly say, you know, because GPs might say, oh, it's not celiac disease. Well, our thing is get them to tick the box to prove themselves right. If that's the case. Yeah. 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 And if
0: from when you're diagnosed, so you've gone to the gastro endocrine, what's the gastro? Gastroenterologist. (laughs) Entrologist, that's it. So when you've had that procedure done, then is it literally cold turkey from there? Is it or is it before that? What happens?
1: Okay, so basically, if you go to the GP, this is these are the steps. Okay, so you're feeling crap. To put, it, to put it mildly, all right? Every yeah. time you eat something, you're terrified putting something in your mouth because you don't know what you're, what, what's going to make you sick, all right? Go to the GP, get your blood test. Make sure you've been eating gluten. That's really important. Before you have your blood test, make sure you've been eating gluten. Okay? okay. Okay. Because, and we're not talking about having a sandwich before you go in and then having the blood test because you have to fast before your bloods. All right. So what I would suggest is if you've cut gluten out of your diet and you're wondering if you're celiac, I'm sorry. What you need to do is you need to be eating gluten for about two weeks before you go to get your blood test. Okay. okay. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. You could be talking, maybe having like two slices of toast a day for a w- two weeks before you go to get your blood test. So go and get your blood test. If the TTG levels, the transglutaminase antibodies, come back high, your GP should be sending you for an endoscopy. Okay? And again, we were. this is the gold standard. If the GP is not sending you for an endoscopy, you want to know why. Okay. And if the GP says that you don't need one, tell them how sure are they that they don't need one? Question. Don't question their integrity, but question where they're coming from because our, the gold standard of a diagnosis for celiac disease is an endoscopy okay. so you get your endoscopy appointment and now it could be say you've say the gp says today i'm sending you for an end for an endoscopy and next week you get your endoscopy appointment and got, and unfortunately because of the situation the health system is in at the moment your endoscopy is not until june of next year yeah. all right yeah so you're still feeling pretty crap what I would suggest is, and again, this is just a suggestion. It's not medically proven. You could cook gluten out of your diet until about a month before the endoscopy. Okay. 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 But you have to be on a gluten diet or what's called a gluten challenge before an endoscopy.
0: Right. All right. Okay.
1: And it's really important that you're on that challenge for about four to six weeks before your endoscopy. Right. Of course, if you're getting your endoscopy next week, keep eating the gluten. Yeah. So, for example, if you got the, the, the TTGs have come back, you've seen the GP today, the endoscopies next week, keep eating the gluten. Unfortunately, that is the crappiest thing you have to do. And this is what some parents struggle terribly with, is the fact that they have to keep the child on a gluten diet until they get their endoscopy. Right. Now, in Australia, they don't die. They diagnose on TTG levels for a child. They don't actually force the child to go for an endoscopy all right and you can have that the child could then have an endoscopy as they get older into later life late teens early 20s okay Mm -hmm. but the importance of uh, the gluten diet of eating gluten before the blood test and the endoscopy cannot be highlighted enough because otherwise what you're going to get is a false negative right okay yeah okay um And there's no point cutting gluten out of your diet if it's not necessary, because when you cut gluten out of your diet just because you want to be on a gluten free diet, what you're cutting out is your fiber, your calcium, your vitamin levels, all of those things that are so important for a healthy gut and a healthy nutritional, Mm -hmm. uh, healthy body. So, you know, this is why we would not advocate for people on a selective gluten free diet. That's in our book, not a great idea. because you are cutting out all your necessary vitamins, fiber, calcium, vitamin D, all of those things that are so important for women as they get, as they age. So when it comes to, if you feel you have celiac disease, you have to be on a gluten diet before your blood test and before your endoscopy. Okay. So it's just that if you're feeling particularly terrible and you know, there's going to be a gap between when you've got your results, your TTG levels and your endoscopy, just know that you have to be on a gluten diet four to six weeks before you get that. Okay. Okay, Because basically you have to have, the damage has to show in the gut. Yeah. Yeah. unfortunately yeah and i
0: think that's very valid advice because of uh, unfortunately like look at the delays at the moment that we're experiencing you know
1: and And it's not advice catherine it's just a suggestion Suggestion. because i'm not an expert
0: yes suggestion
1: okay (laughs) (laughs) we'll rephrase that
0: and sorry just jumping back to the bones again because i just thought so say you are um of any age Mm. okay maybe you're 20 maybe you're 30 maybe you're 50 60 And you've been diagnosed celiac. Should you be getting a DEXA scan done to look at your bone health at any age?
1: Okay. well for children not so much but definitely yeah. for for young adults um you know i suppose 18 yeah. onwards um a DEXA scan is very important it'll give you an okay. idea of your bone health and then yeah. of course a year later once you've Im- improved on your calcium and vitamin d intake then another DEXA scan And DEXA scans can be arranged through um the hse but they can also be arranged through private health insurance yeah. um but yeah um actually um we actually had uh, a a webinar last week as part of our Gluten Free Living Show Week, um, which uh, at which our president, uh, Professor Dr Nick Kennedy, actually spoke about the importance of DEXA scans and um, and having them um, as part of your health regime as a celiac. So um, really should be that should be um, I think that video is on demand for members. But again, if people are not okay. members we would advise if you are a celiac that you should be a member of the society because we can certainly help you at any stage of your Mm. life, be it Mm. where you're now 10 years, 20 years diagnosed as celiac, but you know what? You're still cooking the same stuff. Let's shake that up a little bit, baby, and make it (laughs) make mealtimes a little bit more fun. But also it's so important that if you are diagnosed celiac, that you are talking to a dietitian at least once a year, if not once every two years. And you definitely need to get your annual bloods done to check your TTG levels. The TTG levels are so important because the smallest piece of gluten for a celiac will cause untold damage.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And is that that one of the big issues we face when we go out to a restaurant or when you go out to eat something or maybe you pick up a pre-cooked dinner and it says gluten free? Um, I mean, I, I I know many people will have gone out for a restaurant and whatever, and they'll be told it's gluten free, but yet the next morning or later that night, yeah, they can having- get gluten. Yeah. yeah, they're it's called
1: yeah. what's called what being gluten. Yeah. So what we're doing at the Celiac Society is we're actually um, launching um, next week or the week after. I think it is. Um, catering training for restaurants and cafes um, who want to provide gluten free meals for their uh, customers. This is a problem um, across the board. Now, um, the Restaurant Association of Ireland have endorsed this training and it has been developed by um, one of our uh, consultants, Francis Buckley, who is a trained chef um, with a specific interest and expertise in the area of gluten free food production. She also sits on the allergen um, subcommittee with the FSAI in Ireland. So we're very fortunate to have this level of expertise involved in the development of this training. And so this will actually ensure that restaurants can conduct this training for all of their staff, be it front of house, kitchen, Staff, but across all of their staff. And what's also important is that um, they will also now be able to use an endorsement from the Celiac Society of Ireland so that these restaurants can now attract their gluten free customer, um, knowing, uh, and those customers can go knowing that they had this restaurant or cafe has actually participated in, in our training program and that we have endorsed them as a safe place to eat for celiacs. Now, look we do our best to ensure that uh, these restaurants and in when it comes to our food food list our food producers um, have indemnified themselves as much as possible in relation to providing gluten free food which you're not going to catch 100% of them 100% of the time it's i like with anything okay however the food producers and the food manufacturers who are included in our annual food list, they have signed a declaration with us that they are producing food that is gluten-free, that is 20 parts per million or less per 100 grams of, um, of the product, that they are technically under EU law and Irish law gluten-free. But they've also agreed and signed that the food is produced in an, in an environment that is not open to cross-contamination from other, from gluten products so that is uh, what our food list does and that's what our members sign up for is our food list and the safety and safe knowledge of knowing that the products that are included in that food list are safe for them to eat
0: Brilliant, okay, that's great I think that the, the restaurant endorsement you know, that link will be of huge benefit because it's just even you know the weariness of going out and just I I've heard many people um talk about this that you just that nervousness of kind of oh god am I going to end up in pain and in, in, in you know in an yeah, hour and that's or two the or last thing you know? that
1: that's the last thing uh, any any anybody wants yeah. and even the restaurants themselves don't want that yeah. because at the end of the day if you think about it and we did a survey on this if you um, are let's say two couples and one of them is celiac it's the celiac who'll choose the restaurant.
0: Mm, mm.
1: Okay, so if the restaurant has the endorsement that they can provide a safe gluten free meal for that person, you are now getting four covers in plus wine and whatever drink on top of it. And what's more is they'll come back yeah, because you have provide. So you now have a loyal customer who will also come back. So there's benefit for the restaurant as well as there is for the gluten free customer.
0: Big time, big time, big time. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's great because I, I look. I think it's it's a it's a step that needs to needs to happen. I know I've heard of um oh, a couple of years ago. I think I'm no, it's still there actually. Um, down in Galway, I don't know the name of it now, but um, a gluten free uh fish and chip shop. And I know yes. they've gone to great uh, lengths to make sure the batter and everything, and that there was no cross contamination, which I thought was just brilliant because everyone loves a bag of fish and chips at some point you know if yeah. you can and you know
1: this is a common question when celiacs go out so for example i have a friend who's a celiac and she and i went to a local restaurant in clondalkin here and they could provide her with a, a gluten-free meal but she said could i get a side of chips with that and do you do the chips in a separate fryer Right, this, is yeah. a, this, this is a test for every restaurant. Have you got a separate fryer for celiac chips? Yeah. And unfortunately they didn't, but it is just as simple as buying a separate deep fat fryer for chips that only a celiacs that, that chips go into and nothing else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you may only yeah. have to
1: turn it on. Maybe you may get only to turn it on maybe three times a day, but you're serving your gluten-free customer who will yeah. come back because yeah. believe it or not, you have a separate fryer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But it is, it's a, the, the small things like that can make a, a big difference. And it's like even just like, say, in workplaces, would you find now our workplaces being quite accommodating and supportive of say the now I know it's different, obviously, with COVID and everything, not everyone is back in the workplaces, but before that, would you find the cafeteria options are quite supportive of Celia?
1: It's something that we had started to look into, believe it or not, at the beginning of 2020, and unfortunately, then this little thing called COVID hit and um, (laughs) that kind of put pay to that. But it Mm -hmm. is something that is on our agenda and part of our strategy going forward, Catherine, that we would like to get involved with the larger companies that actually provide cafeterias for their employees to ensure that they do have um, a gluten-free offering that is safe for their celiac uh, employees. Because you're looking at the likes to say, someplace, just to take off the top of my head, Google down there in Barrow Street in Dublin. Um, where they have, uh, on average, I think, maybe between eight and 14,000 people walking in and out of that building on, on an annual basis. And, you know, 1% of that is not a small number, you know, mm. I mean, oh, oh, and they have, you know, that open cafeteria type thing that they have uh, and free food as most of these techie places have. But <laughs> do they actually cater for their gluten-free customer yeah. and their gluten-free employee? And yeah. the likes of, say, for example, Intel over in Slip. you know, that's a massive cafeteria as well across a phenomenally big site. Do mm. they deal with, do mm. they um, ca- cater for their gluten-free uh, employee? So it's mm. something that we once, um, once we can get back to a certain level of normality that we certainly will be looking at.
0: And I think you're going to find great appetite for that because I found over the last couple of years, um, and particularly I would say the last year and a half, I've actually worked with a lot of companies who've asked me to review the menu and the vending machine in terms of are they menopause friendly? So let's just say like in many cases, let's swap out Uh, you know, the Mars bar and let's put in maybe a really healthy nut and seed bar, you know, which is more supportive of not just menopause, it's overall health. But I do think that that's I'm seeing it. And that's just for menopause, which, um, you you know, isn't (laughs) impacting everyone. So I would have thought definitely there's room for, um, you know, celiac uh, dishes have to be on the menu.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's something that, you know, companies can't uh, ignore uh, going forward Mm -hmm. because, you know, when we say it's 1% of the population, okay, even if it's only one employee and your entire uh, corporate social responsibility or your responsibility to your employees is to look after them, well, then that's one employee you're not looking after if you're not providing them with a gluten-free option. So we would think that now that the world of work really has been turned Mm topsy-turvy on its head and the, the needs and the health and well-being of your employees has become so much more to the fore now. And in particular, uh, as a result of the the pandemic, that there's no reason at all why if you're going to look after the health and well-being of all of your employees, why you won't look after this one employee who who needs a a gluten free diet. Um, So it's something that we certainly will be looking at and something that we feel that we hope uh, companies will uh, approach us about uh, how they can do better uh, Mm -hmm. uh, for for that particular cohort of their employees. Brilliant.
0: Um, Well, Jill, thanks so much. I mean, um, I've learned loads and I'm sure anyone listening will have too. So thanks a million for taking the time. And what I'll do is I'll add all of the many resources we've mentioned into the show notes so that people can contact you, you know, uh, look at the website. And I would encourage, it's a no brainer to me, if anyone is celiac or if anyone in your family, you need to join the society because I know from um, a lot of people who've reached out to me me, they just have said it's been of huge benefit to them as they've kind of found their way through their own celiac journey. So I'm
1: delighted that we're we're able to meet their needs and 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 support them um, and empower them, as I said, going yeah. forward on their celiac journey. And then like that, inspire them with some really great meal choices and recipe choices. And what's more important is through through your podcast and through our own website as well Catherine, that we can educate people about how important it is to ensure that your health and well-being uh, is looked after and that if you have there's no point in anybody's suffering when something as simple as cutting gluten out of your diet can be done and it's not as um it's not as onerous as it once was and not when you have the celiac society in your corner as well
0: yeah and when you walk down the supermarket aisle and there's now an aisle of um our free you know, from food. free yeah. from exactly which is which is fantastic um so listen thanks a million um jill again and uh thanks everyone for for listening